Homily 7, from the Homilies on 1 Timothy, by St. John Chrysostom, translated by Philip Schaeff. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1 Timothy 2, verses 2, 3, and 4. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, and come into the knowledge of the truth. If, in order to put an end to public wars and tumults and battles, the priest is exhorted to offer prayers for kings and governors, much more ought private individuals to do it. For there are three very grievous kinds of war. The one is public when our soldiers are attacked by foreign armies. The second is when even in the time of peace we are at war with one another. The third is when the individual is at war with himself, which is the worst of all. For foreign war will not be able to hurt us greatly. What I pray, though it slaughters and cuts us off, it injures not the soul. Neither will the second have power to harm us against our will. For though others be at war with us, we may be peaceable ourselves. For so says the prophet, For my love they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And again, I was at peace with them that hate peace. And I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And from the third, we cannot escape without danger. For when the body is at variance with the soul, and raises up evil desires, and arms against its sensual pleasures, or the bad passions of anger and envy, we cannot attain the promised blessings, till this war is brought to an end. Whoever does not still this tumult must fall pierced by wounds that will bring that death that is in hell. We have daily need, therefore, of care and great anxiety, that this war may not be stirred up within us, or that, if stirred up, it may not last, but be quelled and laid asleep. For what advantage is it that the world enjoys profound peace if thou art at war with thyself? This, then, is the peace we should keep. If we have it, nothing from without will be able to harm us. And to this end, the public peace contributes no little, whence it is said that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. But if anyone is disturbed when there is quiet, he is a miserable creature. Seest thou that he speaks of this peace, which I call the third kind? Therefore, when he has said that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, he does not stop there, but adds, in all godliness and honesty. But we cannot live in godliness and honesty unless that peace be established. For, when curious reasonings disturb our faith, what peace is there? Or when spirits of uncleanliness, what peace is there? For, that we may not suppose that he speaks of that sort of life which all men live, when he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, he adds, in all godliness and honesty, since a quiet and peaceable life may be led by the heathens and polyphrogates, and the voluptuous and wanton persons may be found living such a life. That this cannot be meant is plain from what he adds in all godliness and honesty. Such a life is exposed to snares and conflicts, and the soul is daily wounded by the tumults of its own thoughts. But what sort of life he really means is plain from the sequel, and plain too in that he speaks not simply of godliness but adds of all godliness. For in saying this, he seems to insist on the godliness not only of doctrine, 
but such as is supported by life for in both surely must godliness be required for what advantage is it to be godly as to doctrine but ungodly in life and that it is very possible to be ungodly in life hear the same blessed apostles saying elsewhere they profess that they know god but in works they deny him and again he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel and if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an adulterer such a man honors not god and he that hateth his brother knoweth not god such are the various ways of ungodliness therefore he says all godliness and good order for not only is the fornicator not honest but the covetous man may be called disorderly and intemperate for avarice is a lust no less than the bodily appetites which he who does not chastise is called dissolute for men are called dissolute from not restraining their desires so that the passionate the envious the covetous the deceitful and every one that lives in sin may be called dissolute disorderly and licentious verse three for this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our saviour what is said to be acceptable the praying for all men this god accepts this he wills verse four who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth imitate god if he will have all men to be saved there is reason why one should pray for all if he hath willed that all should be saved be thou willing also and if thou wishest it pray for it for wishes lead to prayers observe how from every quarter he urges this upon the soul to pray for the heathen showing how great advantage springs from it that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and what is much more than this that it is pleasing to god that thus men become like him and that they will the same that he does this is enough to shame a very brute fear not therefore to pray for the gentiles for god himself wills it but fear only to pray against any for that he wills not and if you pray for the heathens you ought of course to pray for heretics also for we are to pray for all men and not to persecute and this is good also for another reason as we are partakers of the same nature and god commands and accepts benevolence and affection towards one another but if the lord himself wills to give you say what need of my prayer it is of great benefit both to them and to thyself it draws them to love and it inclines thee to humanity it has the power of attracting others to the faith for many men have fallen away from god from contentiousness towards one another and this is what he now calls the salvation of god who will have all men to be saved without this all other is nothing great a mere nominal salvation and only in words and to come to the knowledge of the truth the truth what truth faith in him and indeed he had previously said charge some that they teach no other doctrine but that no one may consider such as enemies and on that account raise troubles against them he says that he will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth and having said this he adds verse five for there is one god and one mediator between god and men he had before said to come to the knowledge of the truth implying that the world is not in the truth now he says that there is one god that is not as some say many and that he has sent his son as mediator thus giving proof that he will have all men to be saved but is not the son god 
most truly he is why then does he say one god in contradistinction to the idols not to the sun for he is discoursing about truth and error now a mediator ought to have communion with both parties between whom he is to mediate for this is the property of a mediator to be in close communion with each of those whose mediator he is for he would be no longer a mediator if he were connected with one but separated from the other if therefore he partakes not of the nature of the father he is not a mediator but is separated for as he is partaker of the nature of men because he came to men so is he partaker of the nature of god because he came from god because he was to mediate between two natures he must approximate to the two natures for as the place situated between the two others is joined to each place so must that between natures be joined to either nature as therefore he became man so was he also god a man could not have become a mediator because he must also plead with god god could not have been a mediator since those could not receive him toward whom he should have mediated and as elsewhere he says there is one god the father and one lord jesus christ so also here one god and one mediator he does not say two for he would not have that number rested to polytheism of which he was speaking so he wrote one and one you see how accurate are the expressions of scripture for though one and one are two we are not to say this though reason suggests it and here thou sayest not one and one or two and yet thou sayest what reason does not suggest if he begot he also suffered for there is one god he says and one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus verse six who give himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time was christ then a ransom for the heathen undoubtedly christ died even for the heathen and you cannot bear to pray for them why then did you ask did they not believe because they would not but his part was done his suffering was a testimony he says for he came it is meant to bear witness to the truth of the father and was slain thus not only the father bore witness to him but he to the father for i came he saith in my father's name and again no man has seen the father at any time and again that they might know thee the only true god and god is a spirit and he bore witness even to the death but this in due time he means in the fittest time verse seven whereunto i am ordained a preacher and an apostle i speak the truth in christ and lie not a teacher of the gentiles in faith and verity since therefore christ suffered for the gentiles and i was separated to be a teacher of the gentiles why dost thou refuse to pray for them fully shows us his own credibility by saying that he was ordained that is separated for this purpose and the other apostles being backward in teaching the gentiles he adds in faith and verity to show that in that faith there was no deceit here is observable the extension of grace for the jews had no prayers for the gentiles but now grace is extended to them and when he says that he was separated to be a teacher of the gentiles he intimates that grace was now shed over every part of the world he gave himself a ransom he saith how then was he delivered up by the father because it was of his goodness and what means ransom god was about to punish them but he forbore to do it 
They were about to perish, but in their stead he gave his own Son, and sent us as heralds to proclaim the cross. These things are sufficient to attract all, and to demonstrate the love of Christ. So truly, so inexpressibly great are the benefits which God has bestowed upon us. He sacrificed himself for his enemies, who hated and rejected him. What no one would do for his friends, for brethren, for children, that the Lord had done for his servants. The Lord not himself such and one as his servants, but God for men, for men not deserving. For had they been deserving, had they done his pleasure, he would have been less wonderful. But that he died for such ungrateful, such obstinate creatures, this it is which strikes every mind with amazement. For what men would not do for their fellow men, that God has done for us. Yet after such a display of love towards us, we hold back. We are not in earnest in our love of Christ. He has sacrificed himself for us. For him we make no sacrifice. We neglect him when he wants necessary food. Sick and naked we visit him not. What do we not deserve? What wrath, what punishment, what hell? Were there no other inducement, it would be sufficient to prevail with every one that he condescended to make human suffering his own, to say, I hunger, I thirst. Oh, the tyranny of wealth, no, rather the wickedness of those who are its willing slaves, for it has no power of itself, but through our weakness and servility. It is we that are mean and groveling, that are carnal and without understanding. For what power has money? It is mute and insensible. If the devil, that wicked spirit, that crafty confounder of all things, has no power, what power has money? When you look upon silver, fancy it is tin. Cannot you? Then hold it for what it really is, for earth it is. But if you cannot reason thus, consider that we too shall perish, that many of those who have possessed it have gained scarce any advantage by it, that thousands who gloried it are now dust and ashes, that they are suffering extreme punishment, and far more beggarly than they that fed from grass and earthenware, that those who once reclined on ivory couches are poorer now than those who are lying on the dunghill. But it delights the eyes. How many other things delight them more? The flowers, the pure sky, the firmament, the bright sun, are far more grateful to the eye. For it hath much of rust, whence some have asserted that it was black, which appears from the images that turn black. But there is no blackness in the sun, the heaven, the stars. Much greater delight is there in these brilliances than in its color. It is not therefore its brilliance that makes it please, but covetousness and iniquity. These and not money give the pleasure. Cast these from thy soul, and what appeared so precious will seem to thee more worthless than clay. Those who are in a fever long for mud when they see it, as if it were spring water. But those in sound health seldom wish even for water. Cast off this morbid longing, and thou wilt see things as they are. And to prove that I do not speak falsely, know that I can point out many who have done so. Quench this flame, and thou wilt see that these things are of less worth than flowers. Is gold good? Yes, it is good for almsgiving, for the relief of the poor. It is good, not for the unprofitable use, to be hoarded up or buried in the earth, or to be worn on the hands, or the feet, or the head. It was discovered for this end, that with it we should loose the captives, not form it into a chain for the image of God, 
Use thy gold for this, to loose him that is bound, not to chain her that is free. Tell me, why dost thou value above all things what is of so little worth? Is it the less a chain because it is of gold? Does the material make any difference? Whether it be gold or iron, it is still a chain. Nay, the gold is the heavier. What then makes it light but vainglory, and the pleasure of being seen to wear a chain, of which you ought rather to be ashamed? To make this evident, fasten it, and place the wearer in a wilderness, or where there is no one to see, and the chain will at once be felt heavy and thought burdensome. Beloved, let us fear, lest we be doomed to hear those terrible words, bind him hand and foot, and why, O woman, dost thou now do so to thyself? No prisoner has both his hands and his feet bound. Why bindest thou thy head too? For thou art not content with hands and feet, but bindest thy head and thy neck with many chains. I pass over the care that comes of these things, the fear, the alarm, the strife occasioned by them with thy husband, if he ever wants them, the death it is to people when they lose any of them. Canst thou call this a pleasure, to gratify the eyes of others? Dost thou subject thyself to chains and cares and pearls and uneasiness and daily quarrels? This is deserving of every creature in condemnation. Nay, I entreat you, let us not do thus. Let us burst every bond of iniquity. Let us break our bread to the hungry. Let us do all other things which may ensnare to us confidence before God, that we may obtain the blessings promised through Jesus Christ our Lord, with whom, etc. End of homily 7